You're listening to InfoTrack. To learn more about our guests or listen to past shows, visit InfoTrack online at InfoTrackRadio.com. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. New educational technologies have been hailed as transformative, but are they really? Here with the story, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Joining us now is Dr. Justin Reich, Assistant Professor in the Comparative Media Studies Writing Department at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Director of the MIT Teaching Systems Lab. He authored a new book, Failure to Disrupt, Why Technology Alone Can't Transform Education. Professor, you discussed the traditional teacher-led instruction method and two others, so let's boil them down one at a time. Some computer programs, which you call adaptive tutors, allow the student to work page by page at his or her own pace. Compare this to the traditional model with a teacher setting the pace and give me a pro and a con. Sure. Well, the dream of adaptive algorithm-guided learning is that a student would be able to independently learn content material, demonstrate their performance through little quizzes, activities, and a computer would be able to go, okay, she gets this part, but not that part, so I'll give her more of this and less of this. And essentially, every student would get their own individually, algorithmically optimized trajectory through learning material. One major problem is that our assessment technology is not very good in many important domains of human learning. So in math, we can detect pretty readily with computers whether or not you've computed the correct answer. But that's only one part of math. A huge part of math learning is whether or not you can explain your reasoning and describe why an answer should be correct. We have no tools that allow us to evaluate human language in that kind of naturalistic way. So we can do parts of math, but not all of it, parts of other subjects, but not all of them. And so does this approach seem to work best with giving students just additional practice in math and maybe teach early reading? Well, one of the things a pandemic teaches us is that there's lots of different contexts for learning. So right now, there are millions and millions of kids who are at home. They're not able to be in a classroom with peers, with a teacher. Imagine a kindergartner, a first grader trying to by themselves learn in a math class over Zoom. It's almost impossible. In those kinds of circumstances, an adaptive tutor, there are lots of these sort of gamified, cartoony adaptive tutors. They might actually be better. Whereas under normal circumstances, probably a human teacher would be better. These tools don't tend to work very well in reading, maybe a little bit with the earliest parts of reading, things that reading scientists would call like phonemic awareness, matching sounds to letters. Again, once we get to the part where a student has to reason, where they have to say, the story means this, but not this, computers are not very good at that kind of assessment. And then you mentioned peer learning, and one aspect of that being students can explore and discover their passions and create maybe a document or something else that could be shared online. Again, compare this with the traditional set curricula and give me a pro and a con. I bet almost all of your listeners are familiar with this kind of peer-guided online learning network because we almost all in the network world participate in them. We learn how to do our hair and our makeup in new ways. We learn how to beat levels in video games, how to computer program, how to do art projects. An extraordinary thing about online learning is that lots of young people from lots of different backgrounds are extremely proficient at learning the things that they want to online. An unfortunate parallel is that when students are not 
particularly motivated. They really struggle with forms of online learning. Not all of them. Our most proficient students do fine, but many students really struggle. So the challenge of integrating peer-guided network learning into schools, it's not a technical problem. We, for the most part, know how to build systems that are incredibly compelling to learners. What we have to do is to convince curriculum committees, to convince education policymakers to have less room in the curriculum for things that we tell kids to learn and more room in the curriculum for things that they're really excited about, many of which have lots of connections to careers and to civic engagement. There are lots of kids who would like to spend more time learning how to mix sound, learning how to make media in school, all of which, as you all know, are connected to lots of important careers and pathways to civic engagement. But for a variety of reasons, we've chosen another curriculum for our students. We're visiting with Assistant Professor Justin Reich at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Director of the MIT Teaching Systems Lab. His new book is Failure to Disrupt, Why Technology Alone Can't Transform Education. Is there a gap between what teachers know and what they need to know in order to implement various facets of technology-based learning? Sure. And we see that in profound ways during the pandemic, where we told across the world 1.6 billion learners that they had to go home and millions and millions of teachers around the world were asked by their communities to say, okay, you may not have done almost any online learning or any digital learning recently. And now we want you to completely reinvent school in order to be able to serve children who are learning at home. A huge misconception that people have about education technology is that it's like a switch that you can flip on and off, that if you just sort of download EdTech onto a kid's tablet or a kid's Chromebook, then the learning will just unfold. But like everything else that happens in education, powerful learning experiences happen when we have experienced, devoted, well-trained faculty members who can use new tools and resources to create powerful learning experiences. To me, it's amazing how much teachers have taught themselves, how much they've learned to be able to do an okay job in the last few months dealing with the pandemic. And we're much further along in terms of this proficiency in November than we were in March. But for sure, there's a lot more learning that faculty members need to do to be able to be proficient at remote learning. It's not something that you can figure out instantaneously. Our learning technologies are only as powerful as the communities that guide their use. Finally, let's talk testing. You question whether computer programs are able to test students for the types of skills that the marketplace will need. Can you briefly explain that? Sure. I mentioned before that our assessment technologies are good at some things, but not others. In all kinds of subjects, they are most powerful when they're evaluating student answers that are routine, that are constrained, that has boundaries around them. They are least powerful when people are doing things that are unstructured, that are naturalistic, that are creative. So as I said in mathematics, we're good at telling whether or not someone has computed the right answer. We're not so good at telling if they understand how they came up with that right answer. When we make assessments for computer programming, learning to computer program, we can tell whether or not not the program runs appropriately, we can't tell whether or not someone has commented and designed the code in such a way that another person would understand what it's doing. Well, it turns out 
that one way to summarize that is that computers are good at assessing the kinds of things computers are good at. And we don't need people to do those things anymore. We need people to learn how to do ill-structured problem-solving, complex communication. Those are the kinds of things where there's opportunities in the labor market, where there's a chance to make a difference in the civic sphere. And our computer programs are not very good at assessing that incredibly important part of the curriculum and the learning experience. So you could imagine that our whole education testing system is in many ways organized around what our computers can assess. And it's entirely possible that our computers really can assess the wrong things. They can assess the things that we just don't need human beings to do anymore. And that can shift our whole education system into teaching kids primarily to do things that we don't need them to do anymore. Assistant Professor Justin Reich at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure, Gina. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.